In our series, A String of Pearls, Dutch Buzz contributors speak to people who have made an exceptional contribution to our local community. People whose passion for what they do have had an added value for the city of The Hague. To mark our 10th anniversary year, Dutch Buzz is featuring people we've found to be pearls of the international community in The Hague. Today's pearl has been a regular guest in the Dutch Buzz studio. Canadian Cathy Delhanty is an empowerer of women, a feminist, activist, founder of a charity, a teacher, professional networker, and a knitter. More than anyone I know, Cathy Delhanty exudes warmth, and I believe it's no coincidence that her trademark project has the word warmth in it. Wool for Warmth is a charity founded by Cathy that uses leftover wool and volunteer knitters to make hats and scarves for homeless people. Cathy invited Dutch Buzz to tour their studio where I could admire the collection of donated wool and where she told me the very particular business philosophy at the root of the charity's success. It's not the first time this year that Cathy was bestowed with the title of Pearl. During International Women's Week, she was recognised as one of the Haagse Parels for her contribution to empowering women and girls in The Hague. But Cathy had to fight to get wool for warmth off the ground. I asked her how she went from being something of a thorn in the municipality's side to being one of its pearls. We started with a donation of wool and we needed to get hats and scarves that people had made to the homeless shelters. And this was much harder than we expected. We spent a year phoning shelters, phoning the city, saying how can we get these handmade hats and scarves to the shelters? And it was, no, 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 give it to the Kringlo. Uh, why didn't you sell it? And, but no, these were, not, these were not made to be sold. These were made to be given to homeless people. And uh, finally, we just stormed one of the shelters, sat on the bench in the lobby, and annoyed the security guard and said, uh, we're not moving until we get a manager. <laughs> so we talked to him, we talked to the lady who came out, and then finally we were put in front of the director. And he was just like, wow, this is exactly what we need. What happened after that? After that, we were shocked because the shelter gave us a donation of wool. Absolutely unexpected. And it was the same type of donation we get now. It was uh, one of the ladies' mother had a bag of wool in the closet that she didn't use. Just left leftover scraps and uh, things you would throw away normally. And we took it and we made 25 items out of that. Uh, sweaters, scarves, hats, and I think a pair of slippers. After that, we got started to get known and we were donated a wool store because another lady had died and uh, her family gave us her wool store. Changed everything. Somehow things come to you. It, it, it seems to me that uh, you ask for things and, and they appear on your doorstep. And that's happened with wool, but it's also happened with volunteers. Yes, we have to be careful what we think about <laughs> because everything we think about happens. And, well, except with money. We're thinking hard about money, but that uh, it's not, hasn't arrived yet. I always say yes to everything. And people say, no, you should say no, or you should be careful, and you should think. And I say, no, no, just say yes and figure it out on the go. So that's how we get everything. So people go, oh, I need this. Oh, give it to Kathy. She'll probably say yes. So I get a lot of things. But I get a l unbelievable coincidences. The couch you're sitting on <laughs> is the example. We were, we were lucky enough in the corona time to be able to expand the charity and we have a double space that we had before. And I stood here in this big room and thought, well, 
you know what we need is we need a couch. And while I was saying that to the, to the staff, they're like, yeah, yeah, we need a couch. I wonder where we'll get that. We don't have any money. I swear to God, a lady phoned Jean from the she was an Irish lady here in The Hague. said, Kathy, do you need a couch? And I was like, yes, Jean. For the last four minutes, we've needed a couch. And then we got the couch. But then I looked at the couch and thought, well, it's actually really small in this big room. We should have maybe three couches in a, a U-shape like we have now. And while I was saying that, two pictures of a couch was sent, were sent to, um, to my phone over Facebook where someone said, I hear you might be needing two couches. And I thought, yes. Yeah, exactly. We need two more couches. Now we have three. Yep, it just comes. It's like the... Um the, the fish and the loaves exactly like that that's how we feel with the wool loaves and fishes it's like no matter how much wool we knit <laughs> more comes I, I'd like to know more about your volunteers actually because uh, Wool for Warmth is not just about producing as many woolly hats as possible it's, it's also you're also injecting warmth into people's lives by creating a real community that comes together regularly and they, they knit and they crochet but they also share their stories they, they share food it's 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 almost a spiritual experience. Um, how do you find your volunteers? I know you've got 70 knitting clubs. And, and how fast has the community been growing? We have uh, three types of volunteers. We have uh, people who knit and crochet. Uh, we have people who run their clubs. And then we have professional volunteers who run the charity. So these, these three types. Uh, the clubs came from this lady named Rita, a Dutch lady, she was 76 years old, said, hey, can I start some clubs? And I said, yes, because that's what I say. And I went on vacation for 20 days, came back. She'd made 42 clubs. I was like, 20 days, Rita, what have you done? It's like 40, <laughs> 42 clubs. And she's like, I think by Friday I'll be 50. And on Tuesday, she's like, 50, <laughs> and then 60, 70. Oh, my God, it was like amazing. So we use what's called the three-lever model, where, well, we've made this model, where you have to have something insanely selfishly for yourself mm -hmm. uh, the second lever is the action of knitting and then the third one is for someone else for the homeless in this case mm -hmm. so in all our cases we have so something selfishly for yourself uh, maybe you're lonely uh, maybe you're 80 and you love to knit but uh, you know you can't afford the wool or your family are like really grandma that's enough um, and you need someone to knit for then come and knit in one of our clubs so they're in nursing homes and community centers and uh, I don't know here they're, they're just all over the place mm -hmm. and so we, we made a rule that a club had to be four people a minimum four people because then we thought well it's not really a club if it's like two people <laughs> that's like a coffee <laughs> and so this rule of making four and something selfishly for yourself actually made the clubs go from four to ten to twenty people like that because people said oh that's gezellig I like go have coffee there or Friday Friday afternoon here we have for people who like wine we have a Breiborl come and drink some wine it goes on really late so do the um, the hats and scarves that come out of the wine uh, clubs are they different from the coffee clubs well we call it Friday unwind and uh, we would play on words but we take um, tangled wine uh, tangled wool and we sit here untangling it more than knitting <laughs> <laughs> anyway so it meant that we ended up going from 70 clubs times four people to 70 clubs times 10 people to 70 clubs times 15 people, 20 people. So there was this um, astronomical growth. And then for the, for the volunteers for the office, we mostly recruit from the foreign community. There are a lot of very talented, very educated, very experienced, 
very unemployed people in The Hague, especially women. I find a lot of foreign women, no matter how qualified they are, are unemployable here because people will not accept them. Is that for language reasons or because their their degrees are not recognized? Or Yeah, because they're foreign women, I think, is the fundamental underlying side of that. But uh, you could write an unending list of reasons why they're not hired. So uh, anyway, so we can they can come work with us. And uh, in their chosen professional field, and we can always expand a part of the business to take their skill. Mm-hmm. For example, an HR lady and a, um, a policy lady have just recently got us a certification for our HR policies. And so they can say, I didn't just volunteer, because uh, sometimes that's also looked down on. Mm-hmm. They can say, no, we went to Wolf of Warmth and did built the whole policy around the HR certification and received the certification. Right, so so you're empowering people and you're giving them giving them an opportunity to bring out their skills and to, to show their skills so that they can go on to paid work afterwards. We, we try to uh, use our network to... F- we don't try to find them work because we're not an employment agency, but we do put it out into our network that they're looking for work. You, you've also been involved with Toastmasters. Um, and that's another example of... Uh, a way to empower others. Well, Toastmasters, first of all, is an organization which helps people in, uh, with their public speaking and networking and leadership skills. Do you think that uh, helping people to find their self-confidence is, is a running theme in, in, in what drives you? Well, I always think people uh, don't look down on people. I think people get to where they are because of the choices they made or the circumstances they had. But I always think that everyone can actually do anything. I think I think people can actually do anything, anything they want, and they can just sometimes just need a little bit of guidance. Is that not setting the bar very high when you say that? Well, I think bars should be set way high. <laughs> Everyone's always dumbing everybody down. Not around here. Around here, you do you do more, you do better, you do greater, and uh, yeah, we we go forward and up. Last winter, we spoke to you on Dutch Buzz, and you'd produced a thousand hand-knit hats and scarves for the Hague's homeless. This year has been plagued by the coronavirus. This studio right now should have been filled with the sound of clicking needles, but it's empty. How is it going to affect Wolf for Warm's success this coming winter, and how do you think you might be able to move around the obstacle? Well, one of the things about knitting is you can do it at home. And we did a calculation of the hours that uh, our clubs do. And if you just took that each knitter does two hours of knitting in a club each week and you multiply it out there's almost 10,000 hours of volunteer work each month that's produced which is a staggering staggering number but now coronavirus has got two things it's creating more homeless people we expect uh, but it's put the knitters in their houses so they're sitting there knitting for like eight hours a day so we're two hours a week made 10,000 hours we have people knitting like 40 hours a week at home but they're not knitting in clubs. It's not that the community is lost. Well, the community is lost, but it will come back. And we can see the clubs starting to open um, where they have a, a broad like a coffee table in between and a lady at each end of it. And uh, ten only 10 knitters in a room. So 10 have to knit at home and 10 can come in. And they have to register they want to come. So we, we see it's still going. But the volume of scarves and hats uh, since... When did I see you at Christmas? It was a thousand. We're way over three thousand right now, and I haven't even gone around to pick up what people have been knitting during the coronavirus. <laughs> there's, there's one thing I have I haven't mentioned is we have a very 
um, challenging business philosophy, and it's something we've created ourselves. It's a new philosophy that everyone must be happy, and it's the everyone must be happy business philosophy, and it causes a lot of uh, controversy because people say that's not possible, or your head's in the clouds, your bar's too high. But it's something we're working very hard on, and it's that happiness. If, if we believe that everyone can be unhappy at a business, and everyone nods, oh yes, yes, everyone can be unhappy. Well, well, then by definition, everyone can be happy. So we allow the volunteers to adjust and change and move around to find the spot that makes them happy. So maybe they started in one role and didn't suit them, or the hours weren't right, or I don't know any number of reasons why it's not right. And we just say, well, then do this other thing. What kind of thing do you want to do? Um, yeah, it helps us with all the different cultures we have to deal with because we have, I don't know, 17 different, 20 different cultures at any one time volunteering. And it sometimes clashes with the knitters, which are mostly Dutch. So how do you deal with it when somebody can't find their happiness in Wolf Womb? Yeah, well, then maybe they should leave. And people say, oh, that's blunt. But, but if you're not happy here, then this isn't where you should be. After the music, I asked Kathy about her own happiness and the challenges of living in the Netherlands. Please stay tuned to find out the three secret ingredients, according to Kathy, that make a strong and successful person. It's Dutch Buzz's 10th anniversary this year, and we are celebrating our decade with a string of pearls as we honor those who have made a special contribution to the international community in The Hague. In the first part of this interview, Kathy told us that Wolf for Warmth, the charity she founded, is run on a clear and novel business philosophy, the rule that everyone must be happy. But Kathy has herself experienced a great deal of unhappiness in her life and notably found it extremely hard to find her place when she moved to the Netherlands. I found the Netherlands a very, very difficult place to, to come to. A lot of people are like, oh, we love it here, but uh, I didn't love it here um, at the beginning. Well, the first three quarters. <laughs> and it came from partly because my outgoing personality was considered too brash. <laughs> um, I had uh, some trouble with my career when I got here. Uh, it, being a, a manager in a telecom company when I came to KPN, I transferred. But at this end, it wasn't welcome. Sorry, what wasn't welcome? Being a manager, a woman manager in a tech company. But uh, it really was a difficult, difficult landing when we got here. But with Wolf of Warmth, actually, this is the first time I've been able to do something that's made me feel welcome here. Both my children ended up being bullied at school uh, because they were foreign. One particular because she was born. So yeah, it was the, being an expat for me isn't the rosy story everyone likes to tells each other. It is here. And how do you think being an expat has sort of shaped you and the, the way you think, the way you feel about yourself? Yeah, well, I never considered myself an expat because we moved here. We didn't move here with the intention of leaving. So when everyone's, oh, you're an expat, for me it was keeping us outside of the society that we had moved into. And so we put our kids in Dutch schools. We, uh, Most of our friends uh, were Dutch. But still, there was this, like, we're even now people call me an expat. And I've lived here for 20 years and never intended to leave. What do you call yourself? <laughs> I call myself Canadian. <laughs> but one thing I did feel here is that there's a lot of racism. And um, because I'm shiny white with blue eyes and blonde hair, a lot of the racist people that I met really thought I would be one of them. And so it's not that I experienced racism, it's that I was like, hey, you're with me against them, and I, and I wasn't. And I, I, that's partly why 
We have every culture of the world here at Wolf of Warmth. Diversity is the fundamental uh, basis of everything. You have been an ins inspiration to many people. You've won awards for the stuff that you do, and a lot of people, everybody knows you, and a lot of people want to come and work with you. But uh, which people have been influences for you? The people that inspire me are not famous people. Uh, I think it's actually quite easy to become famous. Well, I've become well-known, and, and it, that's, a, for me, a networking skill, a publicity skill, and something you can apply. But for me, the people who I admire are the ones who've been through uh, adversity, or they've, you know, the immigrant that's come to a country where they're not welcome, and they've, they've done really well. Even though, you know, they're speaking Dutch, and people are like, oh, you don't speak Dutch, and I'm speaking to you in Dutch. You know, they, they, they've done all the things they need to do. Or the... You know, refugees who've traveled across the world fled, had to flee their country, and then they've they've just been able to keep going. They have this grit and determination, and I find that very uh, inspiring. Now we've asked you to uh, bring in a couple of uh, well, to bring in a book actually, and I, I know that you've you've brought in two, yeah. and they're both about two heroic figures. One of them real, the other fictional. They're both over a hundred years old, so I'm I'm very curious. <laughs> These are both your favorite. Tell me a bit about them. Okay, so there are two. One is the Scar Scarlet Pimpernel. That's the adventure story. And I really love this idea. I actually can feel a bit like that. That's sort of this adventurer that you can do anything you want. And sometimes you have to you mask it. I like that the Scarlet Pimpernel looks like a, a British dandy, but he sneaks, you know, aristocrats out of the French Revolution and through just through guile and grit and determination and, and being really clever. For me, it's really important, this combination of clever uh, and grit. And people often, which will bring me to the next book, um, when I lived in Australia, people thought, oh, you should be educated or have experience. And I always thought, wow, how much stronger would you be if you had education and experience? Right? <laughs> and also sometimes maybe uh, adversity. Like my sister and I were abused by our uh, parents. And that adversity makes you stronger. Um, so I, then that brings me to the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Your second book. Yes. Benjamin Franklin, he was an indentured servant to his brother. Mm -hmm. We know, yeah, his brother was a printer. And we know him as, you know, the father of American Confederation. <laughs> and what I love about that book is that at the beginning, he writes it as a letter to his son saying, here, let me just tell you about my life, because mm -hmm. you should hear it from me. Mm -hmm. And part of it's lost, so they published what, what was found. But at the beginning, he has this, this list of things he wanted to remember to write about. And it's like, invented the post office, invented the fire department, uh, negotiated world peace. Uh, <laughs> this is list. Created money, uh, set up the printing press, set up the newspaper. Kathy, have you brought along a photograph? <laughs> I always get emotional with this. My husband and I dancing at our wedding. <laughs> This is me. We just had our 33rd anniversary. <laughs> I'm all emotional seeing my wedding. Oh, congratulations. Tell me a little bit about your husband. How did you meet? We met in a bar at university, drinking. <laughs> <laughs> in which country? In Canada. He was in, he was in Canada doing his PhD. Uh, so he was at university and I was an undergraduate and he was 23 and I was 19. And um, we met in this bar, but I also met that night. I met uh, the best man of our wedding and uh, one of the groomsmen. <laughs> it was like the instant wedding. It was not my intention at 19 years old to be 
getting married. But how, how long after your meeting did you get married? Uh, almost three years. So it, uh, in this picture, I'm just 22. And he's followed you all, all over the world to Australia first, I guess, and then to, to the Netherlands. Well, we, we follow each other. So we went to Australia for his job. He's a, a research scientist. Mm-hmm. We were in Canada, so we went to Australia for two years and stayed for 10. Uh, but with his career leading, but then I developed my own career in Australia in telecommunications. And then I joined KPN, the phone, Dutch phone company in Australia, and then we came here for my job. Our, our whole adult lives we've been together. You have two children together. Yes, we have two children. We had the kids after we were married 12 years. Yeah, and they're both at university right now. It's a beautiful picture. It, it's got a lot of emotion in it. 33 years later, still going strong. Would you say you and your husband have been the biggest influences on in each other's lives? Yeah, very much, very much. And we grew, well, we grew up together as adults. And so all of the adventures that we had around the world, uh, we did together. And including struggling to settle in the Netherlands? Yeah, very much. Yeah, it was hard for him because he left his career in Australia to come here. He's fine now. He's at Erasmus uh, Medical Center. But there was this moment of doubt where... The day I arrived in the Netherlands, they said, oh, well, you don't have a job here. So we actually were both of us unemployed. <laughs> and then KPN realized I was on maternity leave and maybe they were really quickly <laughs> get me a job. The final item, uh, Kath, that I asked you to bring along was something from your bedside table. Yes. <laughs> you know what it is? I can see a dream catcher. Yes. Tell me about it. So it's not just a dream catcher. It's a real dream catcher made by a First Nations woman in Canada. And her name is Phyllis, and she's a medicine woman, so a spiritualist, and, and uh, she actually made this. So these are real eagle's feathers, which as a white person in Canada, I'm not allowed to collect. But as a Native American, she is. So uh, it's, got, it's made with um, doe skin suede and uh, real eagle's feathers. And as you can see, it doesn't look like the commercial ones that are all full of, you know, uh, fancy things. It's, it's quite, it's much more basic. It, it, it doesn't have the sort of cobweb effect that yeah, you sometimes no, but have. They, they, they do have some like that, but this one doesn't have the cobweb effect in the middle. It's got a, it's got a cross of, of beads in the middle. Yeah. So it's, it's on your bedside table and... Uh, it hangs above my bed because it's a dream catcher, so it has to hang uh, in the light of the morning sun. And one thing that I learned from, from knowing Phyllis and her family... Uh, is that it's they work both ways? Did you know that? So you know, say dream catchers take the keep the bad spirits from you, but if you're a bad person, they fire them at you, which I didn't realize because um, the the way I know Phyllis and them is um, I was in Canada uh, dealing with my what we call my step witch, which is the name for my stepmother, and in fact Phyllis named her step witch, and when we were finishing off. The, the abuse of it, and I, I was able to stand up and push her away, my stepmother. Um, this very small group of uh, family of Native Americans um, took me in and helped me and supported me. So you see my finger, uh, I have a, a ring as well from their, their band. And yeah, so when, I was, when they found out my father died, um, the people really just instantly, generously uh, gave me gifts and in honor of my father and I just met them and it was really lovely How old were you then? So five years ago because uh, child abuse doesn't end when you are uh, 18 child abuse ends when either you end it or your family dies but that's when I met Phyllis You say you're not religious you don't believe in God but you believe in the dream catcher Well I don't 
I don't believe in the Dreamcatcher. I believe that Phyllis believes in the Dreamcatcher. I'm really very much the individual can have their own beliefs. So, like you asked earlier, with coincidence, you know, I have like huge numbers of coincidences constantly. I mean, some people call it the universe. Do you? Does that work? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I really do believe that the individual is very much responsible for their own actions, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you are trying to be good, eventually it's, it comes around, and that's because people can then count on you being a certain way, and so you're attracting what you've been sowing. It does tend to happen to you. I mean, I, I spoke to you last week, and you told me you were going out to pick up boxes of of grandmother's wedding crockery. Tell me more about that. Well, here's some here on the table. Uh, a lot of people's grandmother's wedding presents are being disposed of, and quite cheaply or free. And I would go around picking up people's wedding grandma's wedding china, and we use it here for the volunteers. So the, everyone gets to use very fancy cutlery, silver plated. Um, we're drinking off bone china, and I got some crystal vases. So we try to make the atmosphere as nice as we can. But it's just re, it's just rescuing these things from the tip. Kathy, we could go on. You you go out there. You see the opportunities. You grab them, and and you give them your all. You you really go for them. I I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for talking to me again and letting us a little bit more into your world. Yes, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Guile and grit and determination drive the heroes of her two favorite books. Add adversity and you have her top ingredients to become a powerful, inspirational figure who can help others. Kathy Delhanty is the founder of Wool for Warmth, a charity that brings together communities of volunteers to knit for homeless people in The Hague. Today she was one of Dutch Buzz's pearls, and it was an absolute delight to listen to some of her wisdom. I'm Aisha D'Souza. Dutch Buzz, your weekly dose of inspiration from some of the city's special people. Den Haag.